Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 115. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Even though things are improving all across America, now, more than any other time, now is still a time to stay vigilant. To the other 90% of our friends on the other side of the aisle, holy cow, incoherence. No idea what you're talking about. Ben Gaza, you guys chased the former Secretary of State all over the country, spent millions of dollars. We have people scaling the Capitol, hitting the Capitol Police with lead pipes across the head, and we can't get bipartisanship. What else has to happen in this country? Cops. This is a slap in the face to every rank-and-file cop in the United States. If we're going to take on China, if we're going to rebuild the country, if we're going to reverse climate change, we need two political parties in this country that are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. Word. That's Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, speaking for most Americans of all political backgrounds. And he's angry. And he should be. We all should be. It's still a time to be angry righteously angry. Because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially now. Because yes, the masks are coming off, the vaccine is going out, and the country is finally reopening just in time for summer. We're close to winning the war against the virus, at least here on the American front. It's not over yet, but we're getting so close. And Memorial Day is almost here. Summer is almost here, and our Independence Day, our VC Day, our victory over the coronavirus day is almost here. We're winning this war. But what about the next one? Tim Ryan is right. How can we fight China? How can we fight Russia? How can we fight climate change? How can we fight the next pandemic? If we can't even unite around fighting our enemies now, foreign and domestic, enemies that attacked our capital, pulled down the American flag, beat our cops, and spilled American blood, trying to stop Congress from recognizing the results of a free and fair election. July 4th is coming soon, but January 6th is not over. The FBI is still arresting people right now. 420 and counting will stand trial. And many of these treasonous attackers are still at large. The FBI continues to post the photos of insurrectionists daily. If you've never been on Twitter, now is a good time to register just to follow the FBI and their daily posting of pictures of men and women who tried to overthrow the U.S. government, our government, your government. When you're on Twitter, be sure to follow Michael Beschloss, previous guests on this show like Rex Chapman and Soledad O'Brien, follow Stakeums, and of course, follow Independent Americans. But watch every day as the FBI posts photos of suspects that are still at large. Suspects who attacked our capital. Suspects who could attack again. The FBI releases new information just about every day. And just today, 
the FBI released two new videos of suspects who assaulted law enforcement officers on January 6, including suspect number 106. In this newly released video, suspect number 106 tried to rip off an officer's gas mask and then hit officers with a tactical baton. He punched officers while wearing gloves with metal knuckles. If you recognize suspect number 106, you can submit a tip by calling 1-800-CALL-FBI or just going to the FBI's website. You can refer to suspect number 106 in your tip. He is still out there right now. Also at large is whoever set up the pipe bombs outside the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee and another one behind the Republican National Committee headquarters. He or she was wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt, a COVID-19 mask, and some really nice sneakers, Nike Air Max Speed Turfs with a distinctive yellow logo. But that dirt bag is still out there. Dozens, potentially hundreds of enemies of our country are still at large. And the FBI is out there begging for the public to help. Insurrectionists are still at large. Capitol Hill cops are dead. Our enemies around the globe are celebrating. And some in Congress don't think that's a big enough deal to investigate. Some in Congress want to move past the January 6th insurrection. Some in Congress don't think it's important. Some in Congress don't think you care. Some in Congress don't think you remember. Actually, it's more than some. It's many. 175, to be exact. 175. The House has finally passed a bill to establish a January 6th commission. They voted on the floor, and the vote was 252 to 175. 217 Democrats, joined by 35 Republicans, voted in favor of a commission to investigate how this shameful, pivotal, unforgettable attack on our Capitol happened on January 6th. But 175 voted no. All Republicans. 252 members of Congress voted yes, and 175 voted no. 252 patriots and 175 others. 175 cowards, enablers, and corrupted. This vote is finally a clear scorecard of who stands with America and who stands with our enemies. There's no middle ground here and now. Either you're with us or you're against us. And now, the entire world now knows where every single member of Congress stands. And we must all never forget. Never forget January 6th. Never forget that 175 members of Congress voted against investigating what happened on that day. We must all never forget. Because we're all going to party this summer. And for many, the party's already started. And yes, despite being pummeled and beaten down, America is coming back. America will beat the virus. America will bounce off bottom. America will win this war. But other wars will come. And we can't win them if we're divided. Other wars will come. 
and other wars are already here. While many in Congress want you to breeze past the pandemic failures and the failures to stop a predictable and preventable insurrection attack, new attacks are happening right now and have been happening the entire time. And as the summer of 2021 comes and Americans get less vigilant, our enemies are waiting and they're attacking. Russian-backed hackers attacked our 2016 election. And last year, more Russian-backed hackers executed the SolarWinds attack that hit nine federal agencies, over 100 companies, including 37 defense companies. The companies included Microsoft, Intel, and Cisco. And the list of federal agencies includes the Treasury, Justice, Energy Departments, and the Pentagon. They even hit CISA the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. That's the office of the Department of Homeland Security, whose job it is to protect the federal computer networks from cyber attacks. And this month, in maybe the attack that you felt the most personally, Colonial Pipeline got hit, a company that transports more than 100 million gallons of gasoline and other fuel daily from Texas to New York, got hit by ransomware that shut down the pipeline and sent gas prices spiking. Now, if you don't know what it is, ransomware locks out the user of a computer or a network and holds it hostage until the victim pays a fee. In this case, over $4 million, which the company, Colonial Pipeline, paid. America didn't use to negotiate with terrorists. Well, I guess America negotiates with terrorists now and pays our enemies after they attack us. The Taliban is awfully jealous, and our enemies are celebrating. The FBI confirmed this week that a criminal group from Russia named Darkside is responsible for the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack. And there have been countless other attacks you've never heard of. And there will be countless more. These enemies want to hit our infrastructure, our hospitals, our military, our banks. Anything that can disrupt and disturb America, and anything that can make them money. So before you get too excited about the NBA playoffs, or Lollapalooza, or your vacation at the beach, know that while America parties, attacks are still happening, and increasing, and more than ever, stakes is high. So before you plan that trip to Disney World, we're going to stay vigilant and dig into ways that you can protect yourself, your country, and your future with a leader who's pretty damn good at predicting the future, a returning champion who joined us back in episode 84 and warned us that this could happen. Information warfare and Russian influence expert Molly McHugh. She's back, and just in time. 
Molly's traveled the world studying, analyzing, and advising on the most urgent cybersecurity, misinformation, and technology-based threats in the world. She's an adjunct professor at Georgetown University's Edmund Walsh School of Foreign Service. Molly teaches Russian hybrid warfare. How cool is that? She also serves on the board of the Stand-Up Republic Foundation with prior guest Evan McMullen. She's the lead author of the Diffusing Disinfo blog and the curator of Great Power, which is a guide to asymmetric conflict like cyber, information, and economic warfare. Molly graduated from Stanford with a degree in Russian language, history, and culture, and the London School of Economics with a degree in Russian post-Soviet studies. She was once awarded the Order of the Honor of the President of Georgia for her service in defense of the Georgian democracy. Molly McHugh is a badass. And thankfully, she's on our side. In the last episode with Wes Chatham, we talked about the future and what it could look like. In this episode, Molly McHugh further confirms that the future is now. The 1995 cult classic movie Hackers, starring a young Angelita Jolie, told the story of a group of high school hackers and their involvement in a corporate extortion conspiracy. Well, now it's 2021. And while it sounds like the stuff of movies, what's happening is very real. Gangs of hackers from around the world, and especially from certain parts of it, and one place in particular, Russia, are attacking our pipelines, infiltrating our defense companies, and waging war against our elections and our democracy. So before you head off to Jamaica or the Florida Keys or northern Michigan or the Jersey Shore or just your neighborhood public pool, I want to give you a bit of information and a conversation to help you stay vigilant. Even as we bounce off bottom, and maybe especially as we feel good again, we need to stay vigilant. The war against the virus may be almost over, but other wars are still to come, and some never ended. And Independent Americans is again bringing an upload of light to contrast all the malware heat of the other political pots. We're hacking into your mainframe with the power of the righteous media five eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. With a conversation to help you stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. And Molly McHugh will give you hope. Lots of hope. But she also won't bullshit you. Because 2021 is not a time for bullshit, especially when it comes to our national security. So whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or one of the tens of millions of independents like me, independent Americans is spreading across America faster than any virus, biological or technological. But we don't want to destroy America. We want to save it. And we want to prepare it for the next virus, the next attack, and the next generation. Before you head out this summer to celebrate your freedom and independence from the virus and the bullshit, consider this your safety briefing. Welcome to a look inside the invisible war happening all around you. Welcome to the future of terrorism. Welcome to the future of national defense and hopefully a new era of American leadership. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 115.
Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, around the cyber universe, things are getting heated up in America. A lot of folks are moving attention away from things happening overseas, but our enemies are not turning their eyes. They're still focused on America. They're still hitting us in ways we don't see. And before we all celebrate Memorial Day and BC Day and everything else, I thought it was a perfect time to bring back a very popular previous guest and just one of my favorite people in the universe. The great and powerful Molly McHugh is back (laughs) on Independent Americans. How are you, my friend? Uh, Should I have the big glowing Oz head like in front of me? Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You should, because I think... (laughs) If, if Malcolm Nance is kind of, uh, what does he call himself? Nanstradamus, right? You're kind of, you're an oracle too. You're kind of like a, a more, a, a like almost like a, a, like a fortune teller. Like you kind of know what, what's coming and you've predicted many things, including uh, the, the, the recent pipeline attack and other things that I want to get into. Um, you've been, your star has been continuing to rise. You continue to be more involved in the national and Oof. international discussion. But um, it looks like, I'm going to go back to where are you and how are you? It looks like you still have the same cool samurai sword behind you. <laughs> I do and still have the sword. You're not in Russia. You're, where are you and Russia. how are you? Uh, I'm still in D.C. in the house awaiting travel again, <laughs> um, which I, you know will probably start happening again at some point this summer, I guess. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, weird times, right? Like this is just a super weird time for the country. And I think our alliances and the world and, uh, I I wouldn't say it's playing out the way I want right now, but we'll see. We'll Mm. see. I have Mm, lots of, I have lots of trepidation about where we are, uh, in a whole variety of respects, but I know you do too about different things happening Mm. in the country. So well, I'm, I'm glad you're here to help guide us through it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was on my friend Pete Dominic's show this week, and uh, we've been talking about the pandemic and where we are. And I told him, I shared with him something I've been talking through with my, with my therapist, who actually put a, put, a, put a real name on it that I think encapsulated where I was. I feel depleted. And yeah. I think a lot of us may feel depleted. We feel jubilant about the coming Memorial Day and the summer and the masks off. But it's kind of like after combat, like the adrenaline's gone and yeah. maybe we're going to do some part, but I'm just tired. And I think we're all really tired. But that underscores even more why we need to be vigilant right now, because I think our adversaries and enemies yeah. are hoping we're tired. They're hoping we're not paying attention. You are paying attention. I want to get to many of those things. But you were also apparently paying attention to our last episode and my conversation with Wes Chatham from The Expanse. So you are a fan of The Expanse, yes? Absolutely. I mean, who isn't this? If you're not a fan of The Expanse, it's actually because you haven't watched it and don't really know. But, uh, but no, it's great. It's a, it's a great show. I'm glad that, that Amazon kind of picked it up and has, has carried it on after Sci-Fi ditched it. Uh, because it was the best show since Battlestar Galactica, the greatest show of all time, that Sci-Fi Channel did and i was sad that they weren't going to continue it but anyway it's a the books are fantastic and you should read the books if you haven't uh all folk listening to this um but i think the show is a very faithful adaptation of what the books tried to represent obviously you're going to miss a lot of the detail in in a show versus a, a 400 page book but uh i think the show has really hit its stride especially in the new most recent seasons 
Um, and there's just so much going on there. Uh, and the West Chatham character is like everybody's favorite. So it was great that you had him on. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, before he, before that show dropped, I told my wife, I said, a lot of people are going to be like, who's West Chatham? Do I know this guy? But people who watch the expanse are going to go, Holy shit. You got Amos. And, and that's been the reaction, right? Expanse you know, fans have been over the moon about the fact that we have Because had a, he's a no- so great. And in like real life is so great. And as a character. And it's so funny because like, you know, in the book, he's everybody's favorite, but he's very different in the book versus the representation. And this was like my big beef with the show when it first launched was none of the characters looked like what they were described in the book. And you're like, that's not what these people look like. And it takes you a while to sort of drop that and just appreciate the show as a show based on these concepts. Um, but he is like, he has done such a great job with that role and what the role was supposed to be and like everything that he has done with it personally. Uh, and it's just like, it's, he is, it's one of the best sort of representations, uh, in a sci-fi show ever. I think everybody loves him. So, uh, yeah, really good. It's good that you had him. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're happy. I know sci-fi fans are happy. So if, you know, for fans of the expanse, we talked about the Rocinante and if we were on the Rocinante and Amos was there, maybe you're. Naomi Nagata. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to stare, but I don't know. I don't know that I'm that cool. But, 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 you know, the person who's kind of uh, seeing things before they happen, bringing things together, but, you know, maybe interpreting uh, the landscape for everyone. And, and you've been doing that. So I want to go back. You, you joined us. I think it was November 5th. It was right after the election. The the results had been formally declared. Everybody was on edge, but you predicted some things. And, and, you know, Chris, uh, our our amazing creative director and my partner and everything, you know, reminded me of all these things. And he said, you know, last time you warned us about supply chain attacks and a couple couple months later, we found out about two of the worst hackings ever and SolarWinds. So SolarWinds went on for like eight, nine months. Damage still happening. Can you explain to people what it is why it matters and where we are now in relation to that attack or attacks specifically. I mean, in, in the most basic uh, non-specific terms, uh, the supply chain hack being, you know, sub, sub, subcontractor to a great big piece of software had a malicious piece of malware in it that was then integrated into the software update for this great big piece of security software that lots of people use. So everybody downloaded it as part of their updates and it just sort of sat there as a potential backdoor to systems uh, in in a, a very wide range of companies, government agencies, et cetera, for a long time. And it seems like only a small number of those were sort of accessed or exploited, but uh, it was a very clever way using everybody's lazy security and vetting protocols essentially to get Uh, a really significant piece of code into a bunch of different systems where uh, a lot of important information was accessed. Um, And it's just, I think the response to it has been sort of, it was like explosive and then everybody stopped talking about it. And there's sort of like a new recent thing of sanctions and like none of it. I mean, I think it's a warning of what we'll see more of. And I think, you know, that was the solar winds thing has been linked to Russia. Uh, to Russian intelligence specifically. Um, there was also the Microsoft Exchange server hacks, which are Chinese-backed. Um, and I think we need to understand, uh, I think we do understand, but we need to be more aggressive about understanding how significant uh, the cyber domain is as a uh, arena of conflict in the modern era. Um, and not just as, you know, not just seeing it as attacks, but as intelligence gathering, as all these different aspects 
um, that we still seem to have a slow reactive set of tools to respond to. Mm. Um, although there's been a lot done, uh, especially with, uh, as we have discussed before, General Nakasone at, at, at Cybercom, uh, there's been a lot done to change how, like how we're viewing this and the posture that we're on um, in responding to this kind of, uh, to identifying and, and responding to these types of attacks uh, and infiltrations. But um, I still think we're just, we don't have the same mindset as our adversaries in terms of the importance of this. I think on cyber, that's we're closer than we are on the whole information domain. Um, but uh, it's just, you know, every one of the different service branches views cyber stuff as like an add-on to their specific thing, right? So how does cyber relate to land warfare? How does cyber relate to stuff that's flying around in the sky if you're the Air Force? Um, and they're not seeing it as an entirely separate domain uh, where I think we just need to be much more uh, adept at, at what we're going to be fielding. So it, it's been often said that the army is built to fight the last war, not the next war, right? So when I went into Iraq, we were built to fight, you know, the Russians in Eastern Europe, right? Uh, in a tank war, right? And then we had an insurgency. And, and now, you know, we're still talking about Afghanistan and ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And the threats seem to be domestic extremism. You know, there's conflict areas like the Arctic that nobody's tracking on. We've now got Space Command. And, you know, what maybe, are that's doing? Right. But maybe cyber should have been the thing elevated rather than space. But regardless of, of, of the elevation of the agencies, the threats are real and I think coming more close to home in ways that people feel. So it feels like it's a new threat and environment and the army and all the other agencies are not really fully staffed up and, and ready to engage and vigilant up in public policy. And the public is definitely not, you know, you're kind of like screaming, Hey, bin Laden's going to hit us. Bin Laden's going to hit us before bin Laden hit us. And, and we've now find out DHS and other private companies said there was a pretty significant attempt around the end of Trump's time and around the election. Do we know any more about that? There are many, just like in, in terrorism, maybe Molly, right? We'll never know <laughs> yeah. how many attacks they stopped, right? How many, how many yeah. shoe bombers never got on the plane? How many car bombers never hit a school? We'll never know, right? But we have a sense now that there was a pretty significant attempt around the end of the, around the election, the end of the Trump administration, right? Yeah, I think the details remain sort of sketchy, I think kind of on purpose. Uh, uh, I think we knew in what was sort of publicly presented from government agencies at the time during the election that there were pretty significant efforts by various Russian agencies to do stuff to us again. Uh, and the Chinese and the Iranians were also sort of tinkering around with things, but not nearly at the same level and not nearly for the same purpose or objectives. Um, and I'm sure there were other, you know, other things happening too. This is clearly a, a space, especially on the sort of information and influence side. This is clearly an area where a lot of different adversarial powers are going to get in and try to figure out how to use it to their advantage. Um, but I think that the Russian stuff remains the most sophisticated and integrated, not because of any technical capability that they have beyond others, uh, but because of the sort of the centralization of what they're doing. So when we see these little information attacks or pieces of information operations, it's like the tip of an iceberg of money, you know, other people who are involved in like on ground influence efforts, you know, people who are doing the work. 
Um, and it's that sort of coordination and integration of effort that um, uh, really sets it apart from uh, so far what we're seeing from uh, mm. from other countries in terms of overt objectives to increase the potential for conflict within American society. And I think that's the thing that we still don't pay enough attention to. It's not about Trump. It's not about some other candidate. It's not about supporting or not liking it. It's, it's creating conflict within the American society. So we set ourselves on fire, which we seem quite happy doing right now. Um, and that I think is the part that uh, where I really feel we have not learned anything in the last five years because we're still setting ourselves on fire mm. and um, in, in potentially accelerating ways. <laughs> and so it's, it's a little frustrating to watch. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, even 20 years ago, bin Laden would have loved to have had half a million Americans dead from a virus, you know, an insurrection in the Capitol, riots in the streets, you know, close to race wars in, in some communities, right? Like this is bin Laden's big dream is where we are now or where we were in January. And maybe we're, we're pulling it back. But I, I feel like similarly, People didn't take, you know, the the uh, the extreme the, the overseas extremist threat seriously until 9/11 happened. They didn't take mm-hmm. the the domestic extremism threat seriously until the uh, the Capitol ha- attack happened. Did did we not take it uh, the cyber attack seriously until this latest pipeline attack? Because I want you to help break that down. Yeah. Because now it feels like this one this one maybe people felt right because it's gas prices which is like this 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 like Achilles heel of Americans where we drive these massive cars and think we can drive forever for free right like this is hitting America where it hurts you want to really fuck them up mess with the gas lines right and and so yeah. you got the colonial pipeline attack which happened um by this again another you know perfectly from central casting named group called dark side right tell yeah tell us tell us what happened what happened and 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 is it still happening? Like like the earlier solar winds attack? Is this ransomware still sitting on people's computers, just waiting for you know dumb Johnny to hit download? And and what does it mean for a new battlefield in this country? You know, it's interesting what you said about the fighting the last wars. You know, our enemies would have wanted X Y Z, and because it used to be we would be attacked or something, and then we would do something about it, right? And really starting in 2016, that hasn't been the case, right? Like mm. we had this big attack and it was like, oh, no, that didn't happen. No, it did. Russia didn't do No, it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Like none of it influenced anything, right? So we spent four years playing that game. And then uh, there's like all this, but like now like our thing, like the January 6th didn't happen for half the country. Okay, maybe a third of the country, but half of the elected officials... Um, and this is just, it's this bananas cuckoo bird universe where we like, we are now explaining that threats against us are not threats against us in ways that are so stupid and unhelpful. Um, I just don't know why we spend time doing this instead of actually doing anything about it. And the, the pipeline thing is such an interesting example. So the, the colonial pipeline ransomware attack, it's this gigantic petroleum products pipeline that that transports multiple things including jet fuel and you know heating oil and gasoline up most of the eastern seaboard in the united states um that was hit by a ransomware attack i don't know that i've seen concrete uh evidence yet on how like if it was a dumb phishing scam or you know if it was if it was something more sophisticated uh, how it got into the system but um essentially it got into administrative systems of this pipeline 
the billing system specifically. Uh, and so they had to like shut down everything IT related uh, that ran the pipeline because they were worried. Uh, they say they were worried about, you know, the ransomware sort of bleeding into other systems. Um, so a piece of essentially the way this thing has worked is the the group dark side that is uh, it, the, responsible for the ransomware calls itself uh, or called itself as it has now announced it has disbanded, which no one believes uh, it'll just rename itself something else, but um, uh, ransomware as service essentially. So uh, they build the thing and then someone else, uh, a different hacker group or whatever provides the access into the system where the ransomware is used and everybody splits the profits and, and goes home happy. Um, and as part of this, usually the ransomware is embedded in the system. They exfiltrate a lot of data. And then by the time they make the ransom demand of the company, uh, the sort of, they're sort of the two tiered threat, like, Oh, your systems don't work because we've encrypted them and blah, blah, blah. You have to pay us to get them back. In this case, they paid the ransom and the, the de-encryption tool didn't work, which is awesome. And then, then the secondary threat is, oh, and by the way, we have all this data. And if you don't pay us, we'll sell it online for more money and it will screw up your stock prices and everything else. So uh, it's like this very dark space, criminally new thing. Um, but just as an example, uh, what what the sort of the tracking of the Bitcoin wallets of these guys uh, in the last couple of weeks um, uh, the dark side group branded as that, I think in August, 2020. So it's been operating less than a year as this group. And in that time has made um, $90 million off of their, their ransomware partnerships. I think of that, they get like, you know, 17 million or 15 million or something. And the rest goes to the partners, but it's just this whole construct of, you know, we have built this thing and anyone can you, so who are the anyone's? And then we have no idea in this case, what was the affiliate that uh, was using the ransomware that was the hacking partner in the ransomware effort. Um, Does that mean, think, meaning it could have been the Russians? It could have been anyone? Well, so the dark side guys at least partially operate out of Russia, mm -hmm. uh, as the Biden administration uh, said very clearly in their various statements. Um, they have not gone so far as to say they think this was Russian backed. I mean, in terms of the state, but they expect the Russian government to do something about these guys operating out of their territory. But it's this question. There's still no information. And we probably won't know unless it gets leaked to someone about the affiliate in this attack. Uh, but it's so easy for there's there's a lot of these different ransomware groups, right, that sort of offer a right. service to people. And it's super simple for any intelligence service, terrorist group, whatever, to like set up a little group of dudes um, and, and, and become the sort of partner for this attack. Uh, so we won't know unless we get more from our intelligence agencies about this question. But could it have been Russian intelligence? Sure. Absolutely. And so can I, can I pull yeah. apart a piece of that? Because I think you sure. really pulled out something really important. For four years plus, we didn't acknowledge an attack and we didn't counterattack, right? So the Russians, in my view, didn't meddle in our election. They attacked our election, in my view, Absolutely. right? In my view, yeah. it, was, it was an act of war. But we had a president who said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Putin's my friend. It didn't happen, right? While it kept happening, right? So we've got that element. And then secondly, America didn't used to negotiate with terrorists. Now, now apparently, we do. And we pay ransoms because that company paid dark side, $5 million, right? 4.4 million dollars. Which, which yeah. means 
open season. It's going to be similar to the war on terror in that it doesn't have to be a state agency. It doesn't have to be a nation state. It can be a bunch of dudes with some weapons. And so once you start saying you're not going to hit back and your back door is wide open and we're going to pay and we got a lot more money, it's going to be open season, right? Every dude yeah. with oh, a yeah. laptop is going to try to take a shot at, at a company in America and go through and just, you, you really pull this apart. They went into the billing system to threaten to shut off the pipeline, right? So like right. they weren't separated like they should have been. And, and maybe, you know, it, it was exaggerated. You know better than I do. Well, and the, but the, the whole thing reaction. feels like, yeah, yeah, the whole thing feels like it, it's open season. It feels like they're going to start flying, especially if Trump had still been reelected. It would truly be open season. But I'm sure Biden and others are hardening it. But the public message is, hey, attack American companies, attack American assets, they'll pay you. Right. Well, so the interesting question is, would this attack have happened if Trump had been reelected or is it now for a reason? Right. And I have many questions about that that I will not conspiracize about. But um, uh, I there's there's a lot of different things with this particular and like, I think these ransomware groups and hacking groups in general, you know, they really do a good job of exploiting this sort of hacker mystique, anti-establishment. We're actually Robin Hood and everybody else is bad, evil billionaires. And so they, in this one, they like in particular really leaned into it. And they're like, oh, we didn't mean to disrupt society. Like we were just trying to make money as fucking criminals. Like, okay. And now we will no longer use ransomware attacks against healthcare systems, hospitals, which they've been doing, by the way. I mean, so like the idea that these people are noble and good, is just like nonsense. Um, They're not noble or good. And this is all criminal activity. And I don't care if you don't like companies or disagree with petroleum industry in general. uh, This is not the way to try to deal with any of this. Um, as I think we saw, we will be the ones paying the price. Um, but I think this thing was so interesting in so many respects. One, it has now come out, you know, company was hit by this ransomware attack and by that evening, so 12 hours later had already paid the ransom because whatever they were being asked for, which I think worked out to about $4.4 million of Bitcoin that day, um, uh, it's way less than disrupted profits like they don't even care about that much money it's a it's a rounding error yeah right and and hackers know this right so they're like whatever um and i think of the average ransoms there's something there was something like on this particular group about half the people hit by the ransom were paid the average ransom was like 1.9 million so these things are escalating a lot it used to be like a hundred thousand dollars if there's been four i think 40 ish ransomware attacks against states or municipalities in the United States in the last year or so, um, which basically they've all paid to get their stuff back. Uh, and it's gone from being like $100,000 to like $300,000 is the average now. So this stuff is, it, it's escalating because people realize, you know, the more that's known about these types of attacks, the, everybody understands how disruptive it is. So the, the people conducting them are asking for more money because everybody's just paying to like make, it, make the pain stop, right? And it's interesting because it, like the, the private sector here is really the soft underbelly because right. it's not, if it was the government, there'd be some big moralistic, like, oh, we will not pay the rent. But like the companies, most of the time they don't make the stuff public. They just do it and move on and hope nobody knows. Um, in this case, they had to because it was massively publicly disruptive, uh, but most of the companies don't. Um, and, uh, it's kind of like, if I, if, I jump, 
Yeah, yeah, Molly, there there are parallels here, right? It's kind of like how companies used to deal with sexual harassment claims, right? Just pay it, shut up, go away. Let's keep it out of the press. We don't want to let everybody know this happened, right? And then on on the other side, it feels like, I don't know, Mexican kidnappings, right? Like this, the the market is good. And as long as there's money to be made, people are going to keep doing this. So I feel like we're moving toward a new normal, where where uh, our, our underbelly is exposed. So like, talk us through, if you know, if you can. So how does this work? Does the head of this pipeline get an email from like, you know, like in the movies from, from Anonymous, from an emoticon that's like, pay me $4 million or I shut your shit down. And then yeah. does the CEO have to even call the White House? Does Biden even know they paid this? Or can all that happen without any government authority or intervention whatsoever? Normally, the answer is yes, it can happen with the government not knowing anything about it. I think the new executive order that the Biden, uh, that President Biden signed addresses some of this in they are trying to encourage private sector entities to report this type of stuff to the government uh, in sort of more effective ways. Because if you don't know it's happening, there's no way to sort of really engage or prevent any of it in the future. Um, and so trying to encourage a reporting environment is really important. And so that that is significant. And I hope they can encourage. I think the the creation of these new agencies, in particular, um, CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, blah, 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 thing that's part of DHS, um, which is sort of meant to be this civilian-facing interaction thing, um, because they have sort of shown up when there's these crises and helped companies and whatever. I think they are doing a good job of building trust between government and private sector on like if cyber shit happens, you know, who are you going to call? It's the CISA Ghostbusters, right? Um, and so I think more of that is happening. In this case, they had to because uh, if they had not disclosed to the Department of Energy uh, in particular that this was going to happen, I think they would have been in deep shit. Um, so they did. And they did say this was happening. Um, I don't know that I would say the early part of the government response to this was adequate in terms of what they were saying to the public. I certainly think that um, the states involved, maybe two of the governors did an okay job. Uh, I think Republicans uh, seem like DeSantis was, was leaning on this. His state wasn't affected at all, but his statements about this sort of like drove gas panic in Florida, in my opinion. Um, I think in general, it showed like this, the stuff we kept seeing during COVID, right? This like total lack of resilience in American society and how easy it is to disrupt our supply chains in general, whether it be groceries or gasoline, apparently. Uh, I think all of this shows we have a lot of work to do in terms mm. of, of all of those aspects of civilian resilience um, in this country. Um, but uh, there's like a lot of gaps in the cyber attack sort of response system, right? In terms of, do you just call a private sector thing? Like everybody calls something like FireEye, a company that will come in and sort of tell you what happened and how to fix it and and help you uh, do an internal plan if you're a company in terms of what to do next. Um, Is that something the government should be more involved in? Should there be the equivalent of like a cyber FEMA team that, that is immediately deployed to help clean up these messes? Um, I think there's a good case to be made that the answer is yes, absolutely. And not mm. that it should be a service the government is providing for free or anything, but like, and there'll, there'll be huge debates because like, obviously this is a massive private sector moneymaker for a lot of other companies. Um, but the government needs to be involved in how we, yeah. how we clean this stuff up and how we're monitoring it and how we um, are engaged in this. 
because um, there's a reason these attacks are targeting primarily American and European companies and that they never hit Ukraine or Russia or Kazakhstan, for example. Like they're targeting us with this stuff because it's not independent guys. Um, and, uh, and they keep paying. And if these companies keep paying, these people are going to keep doing this mm. stuff. So there's like a whole range of issues in there that we have not adequately addressed uh, yet. So it feels like Molly, it feels like we're in this new frontier where the, we're talking about national security imperatives, right? Shutting down yeah. gas pipelines, disrupting good order and discipline and like the workings of society. So the government has a role to play in keeping Americans and American interests safe. Is it a new frontier where our military is, has to kind of guide these and protect these technology interests in the same way our Navy used to guard oil tankers, right? Like they have to be out there in front and overhead. And, you know, if you're flying the American flag, you're an American asset and we're going to protect you. And, and, and that leads me to the next question, which is you've been predicting the future <laughs> accurately and you've been sounding the alarm. You've been vigilant when many others haven't. What's next? When I talk to you six months from now, what are we going to be talking about that happened? <laughs> uh, that's a question. So I think on the first one, there's still this issue of sort of borders and authorities, right? Where particularly in the ephemeral cyber and information domains, there isn't a hard border. So this isn't like, so yes, the government should absolutely be playing a role in a military and intelligence aspect in defending those borders of watching attacks that are that are coming into the United States of watching the types of ransomware and and sort of different hacking efforts that are targeting American companies and and American citizens um yes absolutely there should be a new concept of how this is happening in the sort of intelligence and military lane there just needs to be a lot more like sort of the law enforcement aspect in there too, uh, which is it gets really cloudy in terms of who is where and how this works um, in a way that then becomes super unhelpful for everybody trying to interact with the government on these issues. So a lot needs to happen to sort of clean up the space, make it much clearer. I think it's happening. Like it's getting, it's getting better. Um, but this idea of like, what is the virtual border we defend of America needs to be very clearly defined for our companies, for ourselves. Um, uh, and I think a lot more work can be done to sort of make this very clear in our doctrine too, like just like how we are approaching this and who's responsible for doing it. A big piece of it can be civilian, like DHS has a huge role here and needs to have that role. Um, but it, you know, it needs to be integrated to the potential resources that are external facing, which will be military and intelligence. So um, I think there's a lot to be done there still. Um, on the what next piece, um, there's so many questions there. I think um, I think that the, the question is going to be, as these different types of attacks continue on, I think this one is very eerie to me because thus far it has been a deniable attribution thing, right? Like it's kind of Russia, but nobody's going to say it's Russia or like Russian, Russian, whatever. Like it's just sort of some guys doing some things. So in terms of the, what's the response, like, okay, it kind of seems like the group disbanded because they were afraid of being targeted for retaliation, which is wise, obviously. But, um, I think in terms of the what next, we'll see more of these deniable attribution attacks. Um, and I think in this case, you know, this, this sort of echoes what we've seen in recent years 
where it wasn't like the super hardened thing that was targeted. Like the pipeline itself wasn't like exploded or shut down. It was like a peripheral secondary system that uh, was probably the least secure piece of all of their, their IT architecture. Right. And, and I think people who infiltrate systems understand this, that there's like the thing the company cares about. And then there's like their email and all these other things that they don't care about very much. Um, And that's exactly what we've seen in more recent uh, sort of hack or infiltration efforts uh, relating to like nuclear plants, right? Where they're not getting into like the reactor software and like making it explode, but they are getting into administrative systems and security things and stuff like that, um, which can disrupt functionality in a whole variety of different ways. So I think there's just these layers of things, like there's the deniable attribution, getting around the edges of stuff in weird ways, like the non-critical systems and understanding how those can shut down critical systems. Um, And in this case, um, this did feel like it was uh, timed now for a reason. Um, And maybe it's a part of other things we haven't gotten a lot of exposure on or clarity on yet. Um, But I think we'll see more of these types of infrastructure-targeted uh, cyber things um, at critical moments in political decisions in countries, um, you know, in uh, sort of what's happening to disrupt the direction of, of decision making. Um, I think we'll see more of this. Uh, mm. To me, this felt very targeted to now in terms of new administration, uh, you know, the, trying to impact the the, the perceptions of recovery, it very quickly became a conservative talking point about how bad the Biden administration is. And like, now it's like Iran again, like the gas embargo, you know, the oil embargo times, Uh, like there's people, gas station lines and it's crisis everywhere. And, um, you know, none of that was real. It was all sort of created by panic and inflammatory, uh, uh, behavior, but it did disrupt a lot and had an economic impact. Um, yeah. Ironically, the company will make more money now because gas prices have gone up so much. Mm. But, um, uh, but I think that's what we'll see is sort of like, there will still be all, there will always be random things happening at random times, but I think there will be more things that we will start to look at and wonder the, the most important question, which is always why this, why now? Mm. Um, and I just, I feel like we're going to see more of that related to election cycles, to decision-making cycles, to economic cycles, uh, to influence markets, to influence sort of big economic swings in systems and countries. Um, there's just going to be more of that and there's no way so, around it. So, you know, disruption is the goal, right? Chaos yeah. is the goal of all of our enemies, right? And, and why now? Like, I don't know if it's a cause uh, or if it was time around this, but you know, we've got a lot of other things happening too. You've got a huge percentage of our government that doesn't recognize a domestic attack on our capital. You've got, um, you've got Israel exploding right now in Gaza, which could, which yeah. could unfold into a, you know, a major regional conflict we haven't seen in decades or, or longer. You've got a new administration in place. Um, and our enemies will wish us harm as we also pull out of Afghanistan, right? Yep. So it looks like, you know, we're trying, I think Biden is smartly trying to solidify our homeland and, and get our, our house in order as the rest of the world in some ways continues to burn, to include with the pandemic. 
And I've tried to highlight the fact that, for example, putting out vaccine in third world yep. countries is probably going to be much more effective than putting Marines on the ground. Right. And that 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 whole landscape is unfolding at a time when our political system is still fragile. And I, I wanted to come back to something that you launched or you were a part of with Evan McMullen. We had Evan yep. McMullen on this show when we first rebranded it. He was the independent candidate for president. Uh, yep. I appreciate a lot of what he's been adding to the national discussion. And he launched a new effort. We don't know what the hell is going to happen to the Republican Party, right? right? So he's part of a new group that, that you signed on to. I want to get the name right because it's a tough one, right? It's uh, a call for American renewal. Right. And it's a wide range of people. I've been criti critical of it. I mean, uh, but at the same time, I appreciate it. And, and here's what I said. I said, look, it's nice to see people that are trying to move the Republican Party back to sanity. Uh, and it has to start somewhere. But for me... It just didn't feel like enough firepower. No offense to you. You're a great yeah, voice. No, no. I want you on there, but I, I know you. I, I know I you're an independent. Big gun, absolutely. Right. <laughs> and and uh, when bigger, unexpected Republicans break ranks and join the effort, then I think it's really going to yeah. get my attention. But right now, there wasn't really a name on there that was unexpected. I mean, you're on there with people like Scarmucci and others that you know yeah. aren't exactly going to drive the future of Republican politics or independent politics. And that's maybe what I wanted to ask you to give me your thoughts on, because I don't think the future of independent politics uh, and a strong independent third party or multiple parties is going to be led by someone who is a longtime Republican. And, and there's a growing wave of independents in this country that want new leaders. And they don't yep. just want the old leaders wearing new uniforms, which yep. is what that effort felt like. Now, now yep. that said, yep. I wrote this on Twitter, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if people are bound to, you know, to calling themselves Republicans and they have an alternative other than the current zombie GOP, then that's a good thing for Americans, right? If you can peel off some people away from crazy land and bring them back yep. to sanity, that's a good thing. And anything that takes away from Trump's power, in my view, is a good thing for all Americans. But uh, what, what, what did you hope this will achieve? Why did you sign on? And what do you want the message to be that people take away from this new effort? Yeah, I mean, look, I signed on because I was asked to, because I'm on the board of, of the Stand Up Republic Foundation, which is connected to some of these efforts um, to sort of uh, work in these spaces and find the new commonality and blah, blah, blah. And what's on the paper is great. Like, these are all principles that any actual American who's not micro-parsing things for political conspiracies right. should agree to in terms of defending freedom of speech, defending all these other things. Um, so what's on the paper is great. And I agree with all of that. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I signed on with, with reluctance, not for any of the what's on the paper or who's attached or any of that stuff, but because, um, I am not a domestic political. All I want to do is like, go do my foreign stuff again. Um, and I hate that I have to spend so much attention to what's happening here because everything is a firestorm all the time, but it's not despite my own discomfort with being a political person in the United States, uh, it is not a time to sit on the sidelines as we have discussed, you know, it's the man in the arena situation, but um, this was something I could put my name on. And I believe that those things like the stuff on the paper is good. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done for all the reasons you mentioned, which is like all current elected political folk are super reluctant to do anything that will alienate even their shitty parties when they admit that it's shitty uh, for, for fundraising reasons, for whatever other reasons. Like there's this like huge fear in every elected political person of pissing off whatever the party is. 
Um, I think this is doubly true in um, Republican candidates uh, in the country, uh, especially right now where, you know, stepping outside the lines is like death threats and craziness and not just like you lose the funding and the support and someone will primary you, but like your family is probably going to be at risk. I'm disappointed that um, actors from either side, and in, in, in the case of this effort, I do think there needs to be a lot more um, focus on making it this alternate space for everybody who doesn't have a political home, which is something I know you're really focused on too. Uh, and it's not just Republicans who no longer have a home. There's a lot of Democrats who who do not like the direction of some of the more extreme stuff in the party and really just want somewhere else to have something to say politically where there's no choice anymore. Like, you know, if you're a moderate Democrat, you may be used to vote Republican, but you're not right now. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, so what else is there um, in terms of showing what you actually believe and, and where you want to see? So I think this effort in particular needs to show um, that there is a space where they can have influence, uh, whatever that might be, city council elections, a single national seat, whatever. Where's the space where you can have influence in building this new consensus between all the people who feel they have no political home. And I think a lot of work has to be done there. I think in terms of the, where are the names of the big, you know, elected officials, like why was there no one signed on? I think it shows this fear, right? This true fear of like stepping outside of the place that you're comfortable in. But right now, everybody needs to ask why they're so comfortable in a system that is completely shitty. And if you don't think the system is completely shitty, you're actually like not paying any attention to what's happening in this country or how we've gotten here or what's going on. And like, I think the Biden administration on domestic stuff has put forward a lot of ideas that fundamentally are about whether you agree with them or not fundamentally are about transforming the way the government interacts with citizens and what government is now bringing to citizens' lives in a new modern age, right? And I think that's so critical. And there's such a case to be made. And I say this as a person who grew up in Idaho and believes government has like no role in your life, right? In this modern era of all these things we've talked about, these like gray zone attacks and like all these other things, right? Um, strength in society that will come from things like providing healthcare, you know, like having real retirement plans for people, uh, uh, defense in the information domain. So we're not all being driven crazy by what we see online. Um, all of this sort of gray zone resilience, which has to come from government is defense. Now it is national security now. And so we like this whole idea of like anti-big government thinking needs to be transformed in the modern era to something less stupid because it's just Mm. stupid now. And I just, and again, I say this as a person who fundamentally is libertarian-ish, but not in the party sense in this country. In how I view government, there's a lot of stuff government should not be doing. Um, but this is what our adversaries are doing. And it shouldn't be my job as an individual citizen of this country to defend myself from some fucking attack from China. Like the fucking government should be doing that for me. And that now looks as a very different thing than it used to. And I just think we need to understand that to embrace what in the current... like. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in the future, you know, expanse universe or Star Trek universe where it's a global government and everybody's happy and living on basic or whatever. But um, that's not where we are. We're still in a country in a world of nation Mm. states. And like, what is my nation state doing for me to defend Mm. me from the shit that's happening in this global competition between democracy and authoritarian systems? Um, And so I think 
in all of that, which is how I boil it down to, I now have to give a shit about domestic politics. Um, we need more people showing what that's going to look like. Mm. And I think if this little piece of paper that I signed on to can at least inspire people to think about what's the alternative space can start raising money, which is what you're going to need to convince some people to take a risk, to step outside their comfort zone. Um, hopefully it'll move in that direction. It's really challenging because mm -hmm. the money, as you know, is huge and vast for disruptive, malign, toxic political actors of all varieties. Um, and when the free money and the free fame uh, come from being insane and not from being normal, it's a really challenging political environment in this country to get normal people who actually want to do things like lawmaking elected to <laughs> lawmaker jobs. Um, it's really, it's really frustrating. It's just like such a bad, it's like it's such a bad landscape of things to have to change. But, um, I, you know, I, but you're up for it, more. but you're, but you're well, up for it. You're, and this is why, this is why I, I wanted to, have I don't you know on. that I am. Friend. I, I think, I well, I, I think, pe I think people who are listening, um, think that you are. And, and I, I think part of why I wanted to, to kind of wrap it back together with this discussion is because I still think how we govern and how we defend yeah. our shores and how we take care of each other is kind of central to the future of this country. Absolutely. And we need structures and institutions and we need political processes and we need media companies and others that are independent, but we also need leaders. And I think, you know, seeing your name on there gives me an opportunity to talk about it and gives me yeah. an opportunity to elevate your voice. And I think, frankly, you know, you are the future of independent politics much more than Evan McMullen or somebody that's been in the game before. The people who are coming in now because the moment demands it or they're coming up. And frankly, they haven't been contaminated by the party affiliations in the past or their allegiances or their donors. There's a changing of the guard happening in politics in America. And I don't think it's just within the parties. I think it's also voices like yours and it's your voice specifically, which is which is so critical. So I appreciate your explanation of that. That's and a lot of You pressure. guys had stuff like civic responsibility, ethical government, rule of law, truth, right? Like we actually have right. to create a document. Where we say, hey, we all agree on truth. Right. But the leaders are ultimately, in my view, what are going to going to create um, movements Absolutely. and followers. And I think you have created that. You and I are working on some stuff. So listeners, stay tuned. I want to do all I can to work with Molly to push these ideas and elevate her voice and bring more of her genius and, and, uh, and fighting, fighting Stop. spirit, fighting Stop. spirit, fighting spirit, because it's really, really important. Tell me what. I have two last questions for you, but the one is, yeah. what, is your what does your coffee cup mean? Can you read oh. the coffee cup for people who are listening and tell yeah, them sure. what it means? So it says Gerasimov is just the latest version of the doctrine. And if you have lived in Russia sphere internet for the last four years, you will note there's constant like mimetic debates about this thing called the Gerasimov doctrine or Gerasimov theory or Gerasimov papers. Um, Grasimov is the the equivalent of the Russian Joint Chiefs of head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, who is like the guy who wrote a paper about all this hybrid warfare stuff that we now have to talk about all the time. Um, and there's a really dumb, stupid debate that has been conjured from the ephemera about whether it is doctrine or whether it was like. Grasimov thinking out loud about stuff that America did in like, you know, the Arab Spring or whatever. And, and like this, this like stupid debate has been like created as an attempt to say, so nothing Russia does actually matters, but where it's mm -hmm. like, 
I don't give a shit if the Gerasimov doctrine is a, is a doctrine or not. This is absolutely the fucking way that Russia fights wars now. And anybody who's trying to argue otherwise is just blowing smoke up your ass. So I made these mugs for my class, my hybrid warfare, my hybrid warfare class that have the Gerasimov stuff on them as a joke, because of course they had to read it and read all the debate about the stupid, is it a doctrine or not stuff. And, um, you know, the point of the whole class is I don't give a shit if it's the doctrine or not. Like it's certainly not on the Kremlin's website, but it is what they are doing to all of us now. So, um, that's it's not stupid. And it's, and, and, and like <laughs> any good joke, like any good joke, there's truth in it. Right. And there was and I will, saying, I, I will let you know that more than one of these has been in the white house on desks. So I like that. I mean, there, there's, there's a saying I learned in the military that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not trying to kill you. Right. Which which is maybe, you know, a good right. reminder for this entire new landscape of modern warfare that you yep. have artfully laid out for us. Uh, I have a final question, which is yes. a fun one. Uh, yeah. You have to choose. There is no middle ground. Waffles uh -oh. or pancakes? Waffles. 100 percent. Why? <sighs> They're more versatile as a vehicle for things. Right. Uh, I do like pancakes. Do not get me wrong. Like a good pancake. But like. I will also specify I like American pancakes. And if you start going to Europe where they have things called pancakes that are really like a sad crepe, uh, yeah. like, and you're like, Ooh, pan no, that's not what I wanted. Right. Like you just want like the flapjack American. This was created to keep frontiersmen full, you know, <laughs> like you just want that, but um, that's not what you're getting most places. Uh, I do like pancakes a lot, but uh, waffles so much because the crispy, and you can put stuff on them. They're good with bacon. They're good with fried chicken. They're good with fruit. And I will say it probably comes from... Uh, so, you know, when I was little, I grew up in, in Idaho uh, as a not wealthy kid. Uh, and my family went through some rough financial times. And we lived uh, fun, interesting lives in Idaho as not wealthy people. Um, but every summer, we would go visit my mom's parents who lived in Cincinnati and were very much like people who had the country club membership and would go to brunch mm. at the country club and golf with their friends. Right. And this was like, it was like traveling back in time to like Victorian England and like the grandparents house on this hill overlooking a lake. And I love them dearly. Right. But it was like, it was like walking into a different universe, but we would go to brunch at the club and it would, you know, it was like the real brunch, like the omelet bar with the guy, the, the butler guy, like making the omelets for you. And there was the Belgian waffle bar uh, which was the first time, of course, I'd ever had a Belgian waffle, but they would make you the fresh waffle and you could put on the strawberries and the whipped cream or the whatever the hell else you wanted. And this was like for kids, you know, heaven. Like, that's it. That's there's a dude right making there, right? me waffles and putting stuff on top, and it's a lot of sugar, and nobody's judging me. Like, this was magic. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably related to that. Like, the, the I knew specialness. That the specialness of the waffles yeah i knew that answer would not disappoint the specialness <laughs> and the there's a story there's always a story the, the specialness <laughs> of molly McHugh continues to be as as timely important and inspiring as ever so i thank you for the work you've been doing i'm going to send you our uh, independent americans coffee mugs which are actually camping mugs so oh i love be those. great that's good yeah, the yeah. frontier anywhere else i'm gonna get you a whole bunch of gear we got new gear folks can find it at independent americans Fabulous. Lots of gear, right, for independent Americans. Uh, I sent you peeps already, or I need to send you peeps, but I didn't send them before. I've sent you some more Uncle Nearest Whiskey. Fabulous. Um, but most of all, my thanks. You have been do you a wanna, defender. Do you want a mug? You can have a I mug. I do. Let's trade mugs, I'll, send man. You a mug. I'll totally trade you a mug. We'll trade mugs. 
But um, more folks, stay tuned for more to come from Molly McHugh in the days and weeks ahead. I am honored to have you as a friend. I'm just grateful for all you're doing. When, when folks Aww, are out there you. partying Ditto. and uh, having their post-COVID, you know, uh, celebrations, you're out there holding the line and watching shit for the rest of us. So thank you. For, <laughs> thank you for being on the line. No I pressure. Ha- I look forward to having waffles with you sometime soon. <laughs> Stay vigilant, my friend. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Now that Molly McHugh has sufficiently scared the hell out of you or adequately informed you or just made you hungry for good waffles, I know she brought you some light, which is what we got to continue to do in these still precarious times, in these final days of spring. As the weather continues to warm, this will always be a place that infects you with the light and welcomes independents, Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between and keeps the hope spreading. And hope is the oxygen of democracy. It's a hack, and we all need to use that hack to spread that hope across the country and across the Internet. The hope of the future of America is more and more contagious by the day, and it's spreading faster than any ransomware. And it's even more lucrative. And without the pesky FBI investigations, wiretaps, and handcuffs. So be a helper. Keep it spreading. We can all be like Molly McHugh and all our recent guests, from Wes Chatham to Congressman Ruben Gallego, and lots of other tech-focused leaders that have joined us all along the way in this show. Leaders like Dean Kamen, way back in episode 26. Dean's the inventor of the Segway, the first drug infusion pump, and the Slingshot, a water purification device that requires no filters and can turn any water into drinking water and can operate using cow dung as fuel. He also invented the Luke arm at DARPA for the Defense Department, and he's now invented a revolutionary all-terrain electric wheelchair known as the iBot. That's episode 26, and it's a great one for the kids this summer, especially if you check out the video. Staying in the world of tech, you can also go way back and hear Bernard from Westworld himself, actor Jeffrey Wright, in an awesome episode 55. It was right at the start of the pandemic. You can also meet Bernard's turtles. Or go back to episode 43 with Yael Eisenstadt, who worked inside the CIA and Facebook. She's a fascinating one. Or go back to episode 29 with the great Samantha B. Sam talks about an election app she created and complained about shitty technology at the DMV. If you've never watched any video from this show, start with Sam B on the DMV and get your summer party started early. And like the hope... And unlike Russian ransomware, please spread those videos and spread this show wherever you can. All across the web, the dark web, all the webs. You can be a hacker for good. You can infiltrate the misinformation, the nonsense, the hate, the fear, all that. Yes, future wars are coming. And we're still in the middle of a few. Maybe most urgently, the one for the soul of our nation and for accountability after the disasters of the last four years, but summer's coming. Really, it is. It was 87 degrees up here this week, and you made it. You made it this far. You made it to the end of spring and almost into summer. So appreciate that and breathe it in. (sighs) Breathe it in. Woo! 
Breathe in deep and appreciate that you made it this far and spread that hope and encourage others to do the same. And if you're fully vaccinated, you can now finally do it without a mask. If you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Let me repeat, if you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Hooray! The day is here because we have almost defeated the virus and things are getting so much better. And we're already doing things like buying NFL tickets for the fall and seeing summer concerts come back, like Lollapalooza, which is going to be July 29th through August 1st at Grant Park in Chicago. Yes, summer concerts are back. And Lollapalooza's got a hell of a fun lineup, with everything from the Foo Fighters to Marshmallow, which we've talked about before, to Post Malone, to Megan the Stallion, to Limp Biscuit, to Journey. Yeah, Journey. Yep. 2021 music festivals are so overflowing with bands that want to play after the last year, it's going to be everything in the kitchen sink. From Megan the Stallion to Journey. If you're vaccinated, you will have no shortage of options. But we got to stay focused. We need just a bit more focus. And we can finally have fun. Even more fun. So be a helper. Help others get to those better days. And help them get to everything from Lollapalooza to working inside the Pentagon. Share good info and hack into the stupid and spread that good info. It's how we fight misinformation and conspiracy theories and extremists and enemies of the future. It's how we beat the virus and it's how we get America to a brighter future. We can all be helpers, hackers on the side of good, hackers for helping, just like the man himself taught us. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Helpers are hacking the stupid. Helpers are hacking the misinformation of Fox News and lots of other hard targets. But we've still got a few. The hardest targets to hack of all, and we can't give up. And we all know that tough guy or gal, the one who still won't get the shot. They won't listen to Biden. They won't listen to the CDC. They won't listen to Dr. Fauci. They won't listen to you. Maybe they won't listen to me. But maybe they'll listen to United States Marine Corps veteran and Medal of Honor recipient Barney Barnum. Check this guy out. I would encourage every single veteran, every single American, to take the vaccine. Think of the thousands and thousands of people who died from the COVID-19 that never had the opportunity to take a shot because it wasn't approved yet. It's been approved. The numbers are going down. Take the shot. Make America strong. Make it happen. Be proud to be an American. And the only way to be proud to be an American is to be an alive American. Get on with it. Make it so. If you've got somebody who still refuses to get the vaccine, especially ahead of Memorial Day, play them that. Barney Barnum was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions on December 18, 1965, outside the village of Kai Phu in the Quang Tin province in the Republic of Vietnam. 
Barney Barnum's company of Marines was pinned down by a hail of accurate enemy gunfire. They were separated from the rest of their battalion by over 500 meters of open and fire-swept ground. Casualties were mounting, and young Lieutenant Barnum found his rifle company commander mortally wounded and the radio operator killed. And Barnum, with complete disregard for his safety, gave aid to the dying commander, removed the radio from the dead operator, and strapped it to himself. He assumed command of the company, and moving at once into the midst of heavy fire, rallied and gave encouragement to all units, and reorganized them to replace the loss of key personnel and led an attack on enemy positions from which deadly fire continued to come. His sound and swift decisions and his calm under pressure stabilized the badly decimated units. And his gallant example, as he stood exposed to point out targets, was an inspiration to all. And provided with two armed helicopters, he moved fearlessly through enemy fire to control the air attacks against the firmly entrenched enemy while skillfully directing one platoon in a successful counterattack against the enemy. He then assisted in the mopping up and final seizure of the battalion's objective. And for this heroism, Barney Barnum was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And now his message is for all veterans and all Americans. Be proud to be an American and take the COVID-19 vaccine. As Barney says, the only way to be a proud American is to be an alive American. Listen to that guy. He'll help you hack the hardest defenses against the virus. Get the vaccine. Help others get the vaccine. Show them that video. Be like Barney Barnum and Dolly Parton and the Dalai Lama and Sammy Hagar and Sarah Palin and Governor Tim Walz and Trisha Yearwood and my mom and my wife and me. Tell anyone still holding out, get the vaccine. Listen to Dolly Parton. Don't be such a chicken squat. Get the shot. Listen to Michelle Obama. Do it for your mama. Or listen to Barney Barnum. Take the shot. Get on with it. Make it so. Or he might kick your ass. It's an easy way you can be a helper. And support your country. My thanks again to all the helpers that support this country and make this episode possible. Most of all, thanks to the fearless, intrepid Molly McHugh. Magnificent Molly McHugh. Follow her on Twitter. She's at Molly McHugh. Sign up for her Substack, which is a fantastic kind of newsletter at greatpower.us. And watch out for us to do more with her in the future coming up with Righteous Media. Independent Americans are the future. And so is Molly McHugh. My thanks to a few other helpers that are helping us hack the stupid. I want to thank my buddy Pete Dominic, who again had me on his podcast this week. It's called Stand Up with Pete Dominic. We talk about pandemic parenting. We talk about being depleted after this last year. I talk about the latest episodes of Independent Americans. I talk about why I think the Democratic Party sucks, why saving our allies in Afghanistan is so critical, and why my two-year-old keeps throwing stuff down my toilets. Give it a listen, share, and subscribe for free. Check out Pete Dominic, Stand Up with Pete Dominic, anywhere you get this podcast. And thanks to the folks on the Righteous Media team that made this podcast possible, especially creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They hack through everything and make this show possible. And if you want to help us keep hacking the stupid, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. 
You can find us also on Spotify and everywhere else. And visit us on social media and check out independentamericans.us. You can find all the links to our social there and our new merch. You can order early for Father's Day if you get started now. You can see all the great merchandise that I give our guests. And you can hook yourself up for the summer. We've got shirts in 16 colors. You can wear a different shirt for 16 straight days. And if you do and post it on social media, I will definitely give you a shout out. Check it all out at independentamericans.us. You can also see the video of my conversation with Molly McHugh and over 100 episodes. And as we get close to Memorial Day, lots of incredible military leaders that will inspire you and those around you. Check out Medal of Honor recipients David Balavia and Flo Groberg. Check out one of my personal heroes, Aaron Mankin, and lots of other badasses that are perfect as Memorial Day nears, all on the Righteous Media YouTube page, which is linked at independentamericans.us. Be sure also to check out the other show from Righteous Media, Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast. Episode 7 is up now, and it has everything. Pee Wee Herman, Ninja Turtles, The Philly Fanatic, Turtles, New Instrument Solos, and seriously, one of the most touching bar mitzvah stories you've ever heard. It's an inspiring look back at the bar mitzvah of David, Rick and Sharon's courageous son and brother, and their special and fond memories of that important event. It's one that'll lift your spirits, give you perspective, and leave you smiling. It's the new episode of Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast. You can find it anywhere you find this podcast or at righteous.us. As summer nears, America is still more divided than ever, but we're trying to make it a little bit less so. And Independent Americans is adding light to contrast the heat of all those other political shows. We're going to continue to bring the Righteous Media Five Eyes independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And explore the most pressing issues of the day with leaders who are shaping what America will be. Important, iconic, inspiring Americans. Independent Americans. And if you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show, so spread the word. All are welcome, and we invite you to be a part of the solution. Just like our fearless Patreon members, my thanks to all of you that are already part of our Patreon community, and especially our newest members, including Dave Petrie. Dave, what's up? Thank you for joining us and helping us hack the stupid. And if you're listening and you're not part of our Patreon crew, check us out. You can find the link at independentamericans.us or go to Patreon. If you don't know what that is, check it out. Five bucks, you can get access to events, our guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content, including another special Independent Americans Happy Hour with me coming up this Thursday, May 20th at 8.30 Eastern Time, right after I finish coaching our latest t-ball game. And this one, we're going to try to open it up to everyone. Our Patreon members will get special access, but if you're not a Patreon member, you can join us Thursday, May 20th, 8.30 p.m. for about an hour on Zoom. We're going to have some drinks. We'll have some prizes. We'll do some toasts. Maybe we'll have some special guests. But check us out, and please support us on Patreon if you can. You can help keep this show going and help us continue to hack the stupid. And my massive thanks to my three favorite hackers, my wife, and my two boys. And as we near summer, I've got one word for you, folks. Ice pops. Well, that's actually two words. Ice pops. But ice pops. My kids want ice pops every single day, and I can't blame them. Summer's here. Ice pops are here. And they are making every day better and showing me the way. They're also still getting after it on the sports field. Flag football continues. And our mighty LA Express was back. And we won again, folks, 26 to 14. We went up 26 to nothing. We let up a couple late touchdowns, but we held on to win 26 to 14. Very proud of our youngsters. 
And T-ball continues. Over at T-ball, we don't keep score. We only get about two or three innings in, and after that, we're exhausted. Two or three innings with five-year-olds is something else. But football is back. T-ball is back. And you know what else is back? Libraries. I took my two-year-old to a local library this week, and libraries are back. So go back and support your local libraries. Remember, readers are leaders. And one other thing is back. America is opening and all kinds of things are coming back, including racing. And this is what it sounded like for me and the boys last Friday. Yep, that's right. Racing is back all across the country. That is dirt track speed racing. Seven different classes. And our boys insisted on being right up in front. We've waited a long time for this. I told the boys that we'd know the pandemic was over when racing started back up again. Now, racing, you don't have to wear a mask. And most folks there did not. Frankly, most folks haven't been wearing masks at events like that for a while. But if you go watch dirt track racing, wearing a mask is extremely useful, especially if you're close to the track because you get covered with a wave of smoke and dirt and grit. And speaking of racing, if you need one more reason to get the vaccine, Talladega is offering free laps. You can go in your minivan, your Lambo, your Tesla, whatever you got, if you get a COVID vaccine. That's right. Talladega, with the legendary 33-degree incline, the super speedway in NASCAR, is offering a ride on the track with your car if you have a vaccine. So look, folks, the reopening is happening. Flag football, concerts, racing. And at least on this show, we're starting summer early. Drums, please. Summer is here. And our VC day is coming. Our victory over the coronavirus day is coming. Independence Day will be July 4th, 2021. And that will be our party. But we'll party all summer long because we'll be able to finally declare our independence, our freedom from the virus. We've hacked the virus. Now we just need to help finish the fight and hack the stupid and get that last crew of Americans vaccinated. Then we can go get ready to help the rest of the world in this fight and in the fights to come. So keep up the pressure. So we'll keep this movement growing week by week. We'll continue to hack the stupid and we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And with hope in our hearts, it's the reason we are now ready to have an epic summer in America. Pass the hope, pass the good information, pass the vigilance, and know you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together. All summer long. From Molly McHugh, to Prodigy, to Angelina Jolie, to the 35 Republicans who crossed the line to stand with America over Trump. From Barney Barnum, to the Fresh Prince himself. Summer's coming, folks, all across the country and all across the internet. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty and stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant. Quit for the summertime. <laughs>